Hey, y'all, and welcome to The Application, a podcast nestled nicely in the Enrollify Podcast Network. This is your guide, Corinne Myers, and I am so excited to share my love of high-grad Marcoms, student experience, and campus squirrels. My friends at RaRa were awesome enough to sponsor all of the insights and ideas I get to share with you over the course of the application's episodes. So let's get into it. My name is Jeremy Martin. I am the Director of Digital and User Experience at the University of Cincinnati uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Nice. I feel like uh, you are the second Ohio school I've had on this. Um, And as a U of M person, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to my state. Um, That's all right. We don't hate Michigan as much as Ohio State does. Right. Okay. (laughs) Um, So tell me a little bit about like what you do day to day. So my team uh, sits in the central marketing communications office uh, at the university um, and we oversee uh, just what my title says, um, you know, digital and user experience and so mostly web uh, front end for uc.edu and, and other properties. Um, we do a little bit of uh, digital marketing work, um, a lot of back end. I've got a developer, two developers on my team, uh, front end designers, um, content specialists, folks that oversee our SEO and and Google properties and things like that. So um, that's really what we do day to day. So in terms of team structure, you're in the central comms office. You're doing a lot of web. Are, do you have like separate teams for social versus SEO? Or are they all under just like one team? Yeah. So uh, we're all under kind of the same uh, Marcom umbrella um, reporting up to our CMO. Um, but we've got... Uh, really three kind of units within our division. Um, so the digital team, my team, um, we have a marketing and advertising team. Um, that's where social sits, um, which is interesting. And I'd be happy to talk more about that. I used to, um, we used to have social on the digital team and we, we moved it to the, uh, to the marketing team. Um, and then we have um, also in marketing and advertising is our creative um, group. So we have a, a designer and a photographer, videographer, um, and then we have a uh, content and media relations team. Um, so they manage all of the external media relations and, and create a lot of the content for our social channels, our, our web channels, et cetera. So do you have a web designer on your team or on the team with the creative people? <laughs> Great question. Um, yeah, on my team. So in the last probably three or four years, our, our design teams have really started to work more together. Um, you know, historically, and I, I don't think we're super unique in the higher ed landscape. Um, you know, historically, we would have we had a a designer who did you know brochures and marketing pieces, um, print pieces, um, and then if there was any digital, um, we ended up kind of retrofitting the print pieces into digital uh, you know design uh, within my team. Um, so that's been we've been able to kind of shift that. Um, over the last handful of years, which I think has been great, um, where our design designers are working much more closely together, um, you know, ideating at the same time, working a lot of times digital first, um, you know, to ensure that that what we're delivering is um, is a good experience for the user and not just uh, you know PDF essentially of what was sent out um, print wise. And let let's do talk about the social team movement. So it was under uh, web or digital, I guess, a digital team, and they've moved to the advertising team. Why? And what ha- what shifts happened with that? 
Yeah. Um, so my, I've been in this position since 2012. Um, and I, prior to this, I worked in athletics actually here at, at UC as well. Um, and I, I did a lot of PR, um, but also my, I'm going to show my age a little bit. I was kind of starting some of the social channels over there in athletics, um, in my time there. And so when I, when I took this job, it was really focused on social, um, more so than web. Um, we had two web folks, um, they weren't even really specialized. Um, although since, since I've gotten here, one of those, um, carryover stake has become more focused on, on design, web design. Um, but in his initial time here, he was really just like anything web. Um, and we had one developer. Um, and I was kind of managing social. So in, if you can imagine 2012, um, you know, those networks, I don't know, Facebook been around for what, seven or eight years at that point. Um, Twitter was relatively new, three, three years old maybe, but not, not super popular quite yet. Um, Instagram wasn't really, you know, a huge deal quite yet. So there was this need for a, a social, you know, some sort of social oversight. Um, so that was really where I came in um, when I when I first started here, um, and as I um, as the team grew and as we kind of built some goals around marketing efforts, um, social became you know the web really became a, a focus of where we wanted to drive traffic and and a tool that we wanted to use as a front door for prospective students and and all of our audiences um, from a marketing perspective. Um, and so social became something that we knew we needed more hands on. Um, and so eventually uh, I had students, wonderful student workers um, over the, I don't know, five or so years um, that I was overseeing social. And I was really kind of, the, you know, the buck stopped with me, but really those students did a lot of the day-to-day -day work um, and were really involved in it. And we were able to build some processes and things like that that, that made it work, but it definitely wasn't, um, you know, as run, being run as efficiently or as powerfully as we knew it could be. So um, in the last, what has it been, two years maybe, two-ish years, we've had, we were able to hire a, a full-time um social media manager uh, who sits in the marketing team. And I think the reason for that um, really is because um, our, our chief marketing officer, um, Nicola Ziotti, really put a lot of, um, you know, put a lot of effort into driving kind of business goals with social. Um, so it was really seen more as a marketing tool than a engagement tool. Um, I, I know I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. I know one of the ones you um, talked with someone who was managing social and, and there was a lot of discussion about engagement. And I I tend to lean that way. I, I think engagement is really where you can, can you know, plant your flag, um, so to speak, with, with social. Um, but there was an effort really put forth to, to make it more of a, a conversion tool and a marketing tool. Um, and so that's kind of why it switched teams. Um, if we're being honest, our team's very flat, our structure's very flat. So it's not like, um, you know, the social person's now siloed and we never interact with, with her um, on, the, on the digital side. Um, in fact, the opposite is true. We interact pretty regularly. Um, but that was the reason for the, for the shift in where that position reported. Interesting. Um, you know, I don't think I've heard of many 
social media individuals turned user experience web person. It's like, what, how did you go from, you know, establishing those channels with athletics to this position to now overseeing user experience and web? It's a unique, uh, it, it was a unique ride for sure. Um, you know, in athletics, my, my role was pretty, um, wide. Uh, I did, I did PR for a few of the programs. I was overseeing social. I was also the web, you know, webmaster, I think is the term that was used back then, which is kind of a hilarious term now. Um, so I managed all of the web, uh, stuff for gobearcats.com, um, on the athletic side back then. So I had kind of a, you know, that was my interest. My interest was in the digital side. Um, so moving into the role that I did here with the university, um, I was working under Donna Hamilton at the time, who was our um, director of web communications, I believe was her title. Um, and shortly after I got here, she announced her retirement. Um, and so it was kind of a, um, you know, it was a nice transition for me to come in and be able to have some of that web experience and build on it, um, you know, in this role. Uh, so social was really what I was hired for, but I was doing some web, you know, secondarily. And then when, when Donna transitioned out, um, I think it was a, a natural fit for me to kind of slide in um, to that role. So I don't have any, um, you know, official uh, academic background or anything in, in digital or in user experience. Um, a lot of it has come from just experience that I've had in the industry and, and research and stuff like that. So um, if anybody is interested in going into that field, I'm not sure there's a a major in in many colleges for it. Some some are starting to have maybe a little more digital design and things like that. But um, I'm not a developer. I didn't go through any sort of like um, you know computer science degree or anything like that. Um, really, my background is is more in communications and and PR. Um, but the digital side has always been interesting to me. So that's kind of how I ended up in it. You know, I, I find it interesting that user experience is in your title. I don't often see that um, included. Why Why do you think that is? And is user experience like the main focus of your day-to-day -day? or like how are you like approaching that user experience um, versus I guess general web oversight? Yeah, I, th I think historically our, our uh, division had called it web communications. Um, and, you know, I, I, again, I think that's probably relatively common across the industry. Uh, web communications, digital, digital communications, things like that. Um, it's, it's probably just different nomenclature. Um, but I think what's important about calling, you know, using the term user experience is that oftentimes we, we struggle to put the user first, especially in a, in a higher ed environment. Um, you know, with, with all of the different deans and department heads and uh, faculty members that are involved, it, you know, you often can get stuck in, in the slog of like how to get something done. And what, what we've found over the years anyway is, you know, if we're able to put our user first and do testing and have research behind reasons that we're, we're making, you know, taking action on things, um, that can go a long way versus you know, just trying to be, hey, we're the central Marcom team and this is the way we think it should be done. Um, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily <laughs> take a lot of stock in that, um, especially the folks that are in academia. Um, but if you can show them research and you can can really talk about 
what the user journey looks like and, and get at the heart of what they're trying to accomplish, um, we found that, that that can be successful. So that's really probably why the, the term is used. Um, I don't know if I have an official answer for that. I don't, I don't know that we had like a, um, you know, we didn't have to go through HR and make a whole bunch of different changes for it. Um, that's kind of the working title, but uh, I think it really reflects what our, what our unit does and, and where our focus is. So in terms of user experience, um, which essentially right comes down to student experience and, and why I asked you to be here, because we talk about student experience through these episodes, um, are you thinking in terms of like information architecture and heuristics and navigation, or are you thinking in different ways about user experience? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's all the above. Um, you know, we, we definitely, we went through a, a pretty big web overhaul um, about six years ago. Well, about six years ago is when we started the project. It is still ongoing, um, but um, we've made some really good progress over, over the last handful of years. Um, and that, that was one of the, um, you know, if I, if I go back to my time when I started here in 2012, um, one of the things that our, our relatively small team did at that time was, you know, put together just kind of a SWOT you know, analysis and, and some goals and things that we felt like we wanted to accomplish. Um, we did not have a, a CMO at the time. So when Nicola, our current CMO started, uh, we were able to kind of present this document and say like, look, these are the things we want to do. Um, now, you know, with any leadership change or, or new leader, that person's always looking to put their, you know, their stamp on on the division, on the things that, that we accomplish. And I'd like to think that, you know, some forethought on our, our side helped her uh, make some of those decisions. So that was definitely one of the things that we looked at was like our webs, you know, as a whole, the ecosystem is a, is a mess. Um, one of the things I like to do back in the day was, uh, you know, whenever I was in meetings with folks that were complaining about their, their site or whatever, we could pull up, you know, in different tabs, all of the different college sites and not a single one was similar, not even that they weren't the same, like they were just completely different experiences. So architecture, navigation, all the things you said um, were just completely different. You would not know that you were at the University of Cincinnati going from the homepage to the College of Arts and Sciences to the College of Engineering, right? Um, they were just all completely different experiences. So that was really something that we focused on early on in, in my tenure and in our CMO's tenure um, was to, to dive into that project. And again, anyone in higher ed can tell you that's like a, a death project, right? Like trying to pull all these different colleges with all this different, all these different types of leadership. We're a dean heavy, dean centric model here. So, you know, each of those colleges kind of has their own fiefdom a little bit, uh, manages themselves differently. And so anytime you go into a meeting, you know, if I would meet with like the council of deans and say, all right, everybody, we're going to build one, you know, cohesive website, you'd just get laughed out of the room. Um, and so we really had to figure out how to, how to best go about that. So a lot of it started with, with information architecture work, um, some testing, some discovery, uh, user testing, card sorting, um, you know, working with all these different units to just understand really what they were trying to accomplish. And at the end of the day, everybody 
you know, as different as they are, they're all trying to accomplish the same thing. And it, it really comes down to two pillars and that's recruitment. Um, they, they want students, they want better students, they want more students. Um, and then reputation management, right? We want to look good. We want people to know that we're one of the top, you know, hundred colleges in the, in the country. We have some, some great programs here. We, we hang our hat on co-op, which is something we invented, you know, hundred plus years ago. Um, and so all, you know, despite the fact that you have these different groups and they have different, differing and, and sometimes competing priorities, um, at the end of the day, you could you could get them to understand that they're they're still trying to do the same things, and so if we can if we can find if we can make it as easy as possible for your users again whether those users be prospective students for for recruitment purposes, uh, business leaders, alumni, whoever for um, you know reputation purposes, uh, if we can get them to take the actions we want in the easiest possible way. Um, that would be a success. So that's kind of what we, how we started with it. I think that answered your question, hopefully. The link between student engagement and student success is clear. The more actively engaged students are, the more likely they are to learn, stick with their studies through to graduation, and attain their academic goals. Most higher ed institutions understand that link now better than ever. And yet in the last year, graduation rates are down 6%, Retention is down 15%, and co-curricular engagement is down from 59 to 57%. Student site struggles finding the right resource at the right time to feel engaged on their own terms, as well as an increasing level of mental health challenges and anxiety, as some of the biggest barriers to engagement. That's where Rob Rock comes in. Rob Rock student engagement and success technology makes it easier for your students to engage with information, services, resources, and tools they need every day than a single app. Whether it's booking time with their advisor, signing up for an event or club, or learning more about financial literacy as a college student, with Rava, there's no more searching around various websites, social media pages, or looking through email inboxes. It's all within the Rava app. Even better, over time, the app will learn what is most relevant to your students and will push those resources first, similar to a Netflix experience. I actually downloaded Rava on my phone myself and got to try it out. Super cool. It did. Great so, curated I mean, content. A, a great way really to make it a one-stop essentially shop. Essentially, website revamp to be is, monstrous. like you said, it's like um, every, Start every making student experience like the center nightmare. of everything you do by visiting um, rawrawlife.com. Like, something as easy and simple as rawrawlife.com. Like, when, like you, like you mentioned, they, they believe that there are competing priorities, and there might be some of those, but finding those commonalities, um, like you said, with students and, and rankings and reputation and maybe then some, you know, donor relationship building. Um, so how did you, so like, how do you, so if you had to tell another uh, higher professional who's going through this process how to navigate the politics of faculty versus best practices versus like the, all the chefs in the kitchen like do you have any sort of tips and tricks that you've learned um to navigate that that political landscape yeah i, I mean i think the the number one thing i've learned is data is really going to be your best friend right um because if you again if you go into a council of deans meeting and say hey i'm with the central markham office and we want to do this project hope you all join on they're not going to, right? Um, again, you'll get laughed out of the room. But if you go in with, with you know, 
a data focused approach and um, you can back up the claims that you're making and you can show all of these all these decision makers that hey these are your users and this is what they want to see and this is how we propose we have them see that um, you're, you're going to be much more successful uh, I know that that sounds simplistic it is absolutely not I mean it, it's a it's a lot of work and as I said initially um, we are six plus years and we started that project I think we did the RFP in 2015 so it's almost seven years probably um, and we we do have the good news is um, there are only like a handful of smaller sites out there that are still kind of stragglers that have not been um, refreshed. Uh, but we're also at the point now where we're six or seven years in for some of those sites that we did at the beginning that they needed again, right? right? They We went through the process. They they followed along. They did all the work. They did everything they needed to do. And then we stopped holding their hands and then it becomes an immediate <laughs> issue again, right? Um, when, when left to their own devices, um, it's hard for, for a user in, you know, let's say the College of Engineering um, to make the argument to their dean that they don't need a dean's corner on their, you know, homepage. I can make that argument and I don't have a problem uh, having the conversation with the dean and, and being the bad guy. Um, so I've, you know, I've said that through this process all along, I've taken, I've taken my share of slings and arrows. I've stood in front of, you know, every group you can stand in front of from the council of deans, president's cabinet, IT council, uh, you know, alumni foundation board, um, all these different folks and, and walk through this project, um, and, and answered some good questions and some really dumb questions um, and and just kind of been the the buffer um, as much as possible for those folks who actually have to to do the work at the you know college or unit level. So really, you know, I guess my answer to that question would be the the data side of it is is really important. Any testing you can do, any sort of discovery and and documentation you can have um, when you're trying to have these conversations with with decision makers um, can only help you. So when you got buy-in um, and we're looking at optimizations you could do, not just obviously look and feel, but through the lens of that student's journey and experience through your website, were there like must-haves or must-changes you were looking at in terms of, again, user experience? Yeah, I think what was interesting to me um, was one of the major things we found out working through the vendor that, that won our RFP um, when we did a lot of the research was, um, you know, the, the program finder, the ease of being able to find, do you have the program that I'm interested in? Um, because as students are looking at colleges, if, you, if they're interested in mechanical engineering and you don't have mechanical engineering, it doesn't really matter what else you do well and all of the other selling points that you have as an institution, they're not looking at you anymore. So um, again, at, at UC, we're lucky to have somewhere around like 800 different uh, combinations of majors. So we feel like that's a strength, um, you know, when folks are looking at, at the institution. Uh, but that was really like, the one must have that was uh, that came from some of our research initially was like, we need to be able to tell people in the easiest possible way if we have the program that they're interested in. 
Um, and so what that kind of came to was what we call a program finder. Um, I mean, that's not really a creative term. It is a way to find programs. Um, but uh, we have that built into um, several of our, our pages, including our homepage. Um, and, and we actually are hoping to continue to evolve that. That's, that's part of our FY23 plan, actually, is to, to continue to, to build that out. Um, and, and improve it a little bit, optimize some things. But, um, you know, there's a lot of steps that you've got to be careful of um, for any institution. You know, you're dealing with accreditation um, and things like that and making sure you have consistent messaging, consistent, um, you know, information about those programs um, all in, in one place. So we have a, kind of a homegrown um, it's called e-curriculum is, is what we call it on campus here, but it's a, a homegrown database of all of our, our program information. Um, and so what we ended up having to do, my team had to do was, was build, you know, APIs out of that, out of that database and um, program pages and, and templates that we could pull all of that information out and deliver it um, on individual program pages and through a, a search function. Um, so that was what we um, spent a good portion of the, the initial build um, of this web project on um, was really getting to that, that user experience so that as a student, I could go to uc.edu, do a search for something that I'm interested in. Um, and the search, you know, you know how search works too, right? So we couldn't just put in mechanical engineering I want to come back to the search function that that's what um, but first major in. this so I've been thinking about to, this idea you know, of sure the search functionality um, was easy disqualifiers key, key right so built in um, consumers in general if you so have it was a, a pretty big undertaking um, but I think it's, it's you're looking for ways pretty, to easily disqualify options of the web and in higher ed it, it feels like based on, on what I'm hearing and experience that something as simple as being able to find the program you're interested in or something that you think you might be interested in, this kind of content available on the website via this program search. Um, if that student can't find it, um, that's an easy disqualifier and that automatically kind of removes you from the list. And like this this journey from they've got too many options, they need to, you know, they have met, it's, it's, it's you know, overload for them right now. What can I, how can I easily disqualify um, my options? And this is like, a super simple way, right? They want to know programs. Do you have what I want to do? Um, and are you going to provide that information? And something as easy and simple, not maybe easy, but the idea, the concept, the simple concept of applying um, what they already know. They already know how to search. They're, they're searching Google every day for lots of things, applying that same logic to the ability to find a program and not have to know what school or college it lives under, not having to know necessarily exactly, like you said, the exact word for it, but being able to use the search bar to find programs and be like instantly be like, all right, this is, I'm not going to disqualify this option because I've immediately found something super easy that I need to, I need to know if yes or no. And then I can, you know, move on to those next steps in determining, you know, comparing A to B. Um, so in terms of this program finder, um, I guess, are you, I would imagine that you're, you're taking it and, and, and applying it towards program specific results. Cause if, if you go to some higher ed websites today and you use their search bar, right. And you type in something, it's like a 2017 article on some faculty research that has nothing to do with the program you're looking for comes up. And it's like, this is not 
This is not a good search experience. And this idea that search on higher ed websites, especially these giant Frankenstein's monster been, you know, bolted together over the years, doesn't have something as simple as good search function is always a mystery to me. And it sounds like the specific search function you've built is just for programs, which makes sense. Are you almost like, it's almost like paid search, but obviously you're not paying for it, um, way to promote things you want those users to see. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah, to a to a degree. Um, I think we still struggle with the with the site search. You know, to your point, because yeah, all higher ed sites, right, are these Frankenstein's that are bolted together. Uh, that's a great analogy. We we've done you know a lot of our work um, again initially with this project was to clean that up as much as we could. We got rid of a lot of you know one of the things we did was cut probably forty percent of our of our weight. Um, in pages um, across all of our colleges and units and everything. Um, we, in fact, on our, I'd have to pull it up, but I've got a, a giant uh, spreadsheet that we, that we had built out for this project. And um, I think 50% actually was our goal to cut 50% of each site's size. Um, and so we would, we had like, you know, all these different columns, number, total number of pages, and then total number of pages as a um, you know as a goal uh, with a fifty percent cut, and you know we didn't we didn't get there, but I think the idea was there, um, and folks could visualize it then as they were looking. and And everything you said about search is is one hundred percent right, and so we were able to use that for those folks as they're you know trying to refresh their sites, saying, look, if you want people to find the information about your program, your college, your degree, whatever it is here's, you know, here's a provost message from 2004 that shows up prior to your page showing up. So let's get rid of all that stuff and it'll, it will kind of self-optimize a little bit, right? Um, I, and I want to go back to, I, I think the search is, is very important, but I think another piece that when you're talking about the disqualifiers, that's, that's another great term. Um, you know, one of the things that we, we really focused on was as a consumer, and especially we know, you know, audiences now, student the student audiences, they're digital natives, right? They've grown up with technology. They have a, a computer in their pocket at all times. Um, we need to make sure that our experience matches that and that expectation. Um, and again, that's sometimes a challenge when you are trying to match the expectation of a, a dean or assistant dean or department head versus a you know 16 year old, um, there can be some some dissonance there, right? Um, and so, we really focused on mobile friendly, mobile first, um, quick page load times. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as above the fold, uh, folks in this in this generation now moving moving backwards i sound like an old person but the the younger generation um you know they're they're used to scrolling they know that they're going to get on their phone and scroll so i don't have to have everything on that initial load before they scroll on their on their iphone they're going to scroll down anyway so 
how do you best present the things that you want them to see without trying to jam everything, quote unquote, above the fold? Um, so that was a big piece of that. And I, I do believe that that is a is a disqualifier as well um, as as a. You know, as a consumer myself, that's a super good point. I mean, I, you've, you've seen the there's research product, out there. I think it was Amazon um, or some large uh, e-commerce really easy for me business that improved load times load by like 1.3 seconds I'm, I'm and saw you know millions of dollars easier, in revenue right? so, come back um, just because that, of that. That's something load time. that we the expectation is I didn't want to miss that. Instant, we instantly need it to load. Otherwise, we like buy and we're not coming back. And it's only going to get worse with the younger generations, right? So my children, you know, my nine-year-old who's, who knows no, no world, um, you know, before the internet or phone, but also doesn't know a world where her parents also didn't have that technology, that access. And we are always getting faster and, and better with user experiences. And so we, we talk about in past episodes, the expectations of users is influenced by all their interactions with other brands. So if Amazon is getting their packages to you in two days, we now expect other brands to get the packages to us in two days. And so that applies to higher ed websites. And if they're hard to navigate and they're not meeting expectations of all the other experiences we've had with really fast websites or really great websites or clean websites, then again, we're disappointed. Um, we feel like the website actually isn't helpful. And that impacts brand. Um, of the institution and again it like you said it, it made they just made it leave they may just decide all right that's an easy disqualifier your website's not even you know even meeting my minimum expectations of how a website should operate Yeah, I, I think it's a great point, um, and I'll, I'll use Netflix as our example, um, and, and this is maybe taking the next step, but um, we've talked a lot about Netflix and like personalization and, and being able to, to build your own experience um, and, and tell that website what you want, and that website will then give you what you want, right? So I think Amazon is another good example, um, but we don't we don't necessarily use algorithms. We're not quite at, at that point where we're you know guessing at what what people want based on their actions. But um, but I think that's probably what's coming next. Honestly, um, you know, as you start to as the technology starts to be more readily available and not only to those you know Netflixes and, and Amazons of the world, um, you know that that's really I mentioned FY twenty three goals before. Uh, it's another one of ours moving forward is is more personalization and um, especially when we, you know, a, a good example of that is again, talking about the program finders, um, you know, as someone, as a user comes into that, that program page, um, let's just put a little scenario on the table. You're interested in mechanical engineering. I'm going to keep using that example because I used it earlier. Um, but if you're interested in mechanical engineering and you do a Google search, because that's what you do, you're not going to go to uc.edu. You're going to Google search first. And you find, okay, Cincinnati has a great mechanical engineering program. I want to learn more. You click on that link and you're taken to the program page. And that program page has information about the program. And then it also has a, a call to action button um, that says learn more. Okay, I want to learn more. 
So if you click on that on that learn more button, um, your ex your expectation as a user is I'm going to learn more about mechanical engineering by clicking on this button. Um, again, I don't think we're alone in this fight, but across the higher ed landscape, I think the experience that you actually get by clicking on that learn more button is to fill out a big long form for the admissions team um, that asks you, what program are you interested in? Well, I searched mechanical engineering. I landed on a, on a Google search result page that said University of Cincinnati Mechanical Engineering. I clicked that link. I went to your page. I spent some amount of time on that mechanical engineering page, and I chose to take the next step where I'm contacting you to get more information about mechanical engineering. And then your question for me is, what are you interested in? Like, that, that's not a good experience, right? Um, we, we are, we're adding friction to, a, to an experience that should not be um, full of friction. So, um, you know, especially at an institution like ours, I'm sure it's the same at, at a lot of others, but we have, I mentioned, something like 800 different major options. So how do you personalize 800 different paths and how do you make that work at scale on a higher ed budget and on a higher ed, you know, with higher ed um, staff members. That's our that's our challenge, kind of moving forward. Fair, we have yes. some things in the works. Um, you know, we're we're working through some challenges and and some options there. Um, but you know, uh, that's the experience that's expected, right? If as you're saying, your your nine year old who's probably never seen anything, never seen a commercial, probably because you only watch, right? Like. Uh, yeah. So like, how do you, how do you move from that analog, uh, expectation to this digital expectation of, I want to tell you what I'm interested in and you should give me that thing. I like, it shouldn't be that hard. Uh, we have so many ways to, to capture this data, um, without having to make it difficult for the user. So, um, I, that's what gets me excited. If you can't tell, my voice raised a little bit there as, as I started talking about comment. it. My nine-year-old has seen three commercials about, in her whole like, life. That's the kind um, of stuff and all three times, it was like, yeah, the world was ending. It was so annoying and years? inconvenience yeah, to her. It's higher ed. So that's play, how it works. We pay for Hulu Prime and Netflix um, and but it doesn't you know, mean like, it's less commercial. What's that? Now I'm I've seen a couple of commercials. I I also don't. We cut cable, so I also stream, and I haven't seen a commercial in a long time. And now I'm like seeing commercials every once in a while, I'm like, man, that's awful. Like, they're just like selling the, <laughs> I know, right? They're selling the hell out of this Barbie. And I'm like, I'm a little upset too. <laughs> awful. <laughs> How did we ever live through this, right? That's so funny because I, I feel like my, my experience is actually the opposite. My kids, for whatever reason, I've got a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old, and they, I think they love commercials. Like when they, they, they see commercials and they're like, I love this commercial. Like when did you ever see a commercial? We don't have any – like we have YouTube TV, so but we never watch live TV. I, they don't anyway. I mean I do. I watch sports and stuff. But that's about it. So there's, there's no opportunities for them to see commercials. And yet they're like walking around the house humming a, you know, 
I don't know, jingle from something. And I'm like, where did you even hear that? So that's interesting that that you had kind of the opposite, that she was upset with the commercials. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcast.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcast.enrollify.org. You you wonder with uh, the lack of commercials that maybe they'll become more, um, they'll convert more people because they're like now this like, yeah, exactly. Because like we haven't seen them. We we, we came, became, you know, numb to them because there were so many and now we haven't seen them for a long time. Now maybe they'll become, you know, a better uh, performance. Yeah, it's like bell bottoms, right? Everything comes in and out of of fashion. (laughs) Right. So going back to this idea of personalization, um, and this Zach and I on a different episode talked about this a little bit and the idea of um, how other websites, you know, they have you log in um, and all your information is saved and your preferences and things like that. Whereas, you know, higher ed doesn't necessarily do that until you're already kind of in this in in, you know, in either have applied or enrolled or super far down the funnel. But I also think this idea, um, so Netflix is a good example, but this evolution, I, I believe, of social consumption through TikTok and this idea of AIs promoting discovery as well based on, um, you know, preferences and, and past experiences. And, you know, uh, Facebook or AK Meta is now deploying the same AI framework, right? People want to also discover. They want things personalized and specific to them, but they also want to discover more content like that. And so this idea of social changing the way we consume social content and then this idea of personalization on websites. And you know, in the in the very basic form, this is at the end of an article finding the you may also want to read, you know, these these following articles. And I, I think I like the idea of a student thinking maybe they want to do mechanical engineering, but universities and institutions, college and schools, helping them say, you know what, you may like mechanical engineering, but maybe you should also consider these other things. Or if you're super into mechanical engineering, did you know we also offer this specific club or support system or something very specific to this major. And this idea of creating an ecosystem of resources and discovery around um, these students, right? Because I'm not, I mean, maybe I'm weird, but when I started school, when I started, um, I started at community college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. That was really scary to me because the expectation is I should have my life figured out when I was 18, right? Whether it was expressed or not, you assume that you should have your life together. Um, and so I would have loved, I actually started pre-engineering classes thinking that's what I wanted to do, when in reality, it really wasn't. It was just kind of what I was good at. And I would have loved to have content, helpful content, especially that I could, you know, self-service content, which, you know, 
is content that is, is not gated. I don't have to ask for it. I have to fill out a form and, you know, hand over my firstborn to get it content available to help me navigate those kinds of questions. Um, and that comes back to the idea of this personalization in, in websites and higher ed and even simple logic, because um, websites today, blogs today, very simple blogs today are doing the, you will probably like this if you read this kind of logic. Um, so I really like that idea. And, and like you mentioned, this evolution potentially of websites, um, specifically higher ed websites, um, getting better at serving the content um, that matters to that user when they want it um, and in the right way, right? There's also different kinds and, and different ways to consume content, um, blogs and videos and, and infographics and things like that. So it's a super interesting idea. Um, I think 2023 is probably too soon, Jeremy. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> well, so, you know, I have a lot of responses to that, to what all the things you just said, um, and I have to organize them so I get them in the right order. You know, there, there's a lot of... Um, What's great about all the things you said is I feel like we're doing several of those. So um, that's good news. Uh, now, are we doing them well and are they you know, successful? That remains to be seen. Um, but a lot of that stuff we, we are doing. So another major piece of the web refresh project that we, that we took on a handful of years ago was building a, a, a news system. So uh, again, Traditionally, I think at institutions you have, you know, professor does thing, right? That's the that's the news. Um, this faculty member won this award. That quite literally, that faculty member and their significant other might be the only people that care about it, right? Um, we have so many of those, and and it's great, and we don't want to discount that. But is that the kind of content where our users are looking for? And is that the kind of content that's going to have to take a prospective student user from uh, interested to intrigued to, you know, uh, applying or, or requesting info? Um, so how do we how do we build that? And so you actually you you said a term that just triggered in my brain um, because we we say it almost every day uh, on our in our team. Um, and that's helpful content. We've really focused over the last probably two fiscal years on building out a content strategy for that type of content specifically. So again, to your point, you you came in maybe as undecided, but you went into to engineering because it was something you were good at. What we're trying to do is build content for incoming students, juniors, um, folks like that, that... Um, could be found in in any Google search. Like uh, the the ultimate goal would be for that stuff to show up on you know the the number one SERP result, you know, in for specific keywords and things like that. But it it also ties into our I'm using air quotes quote unquote news system. Um, it, it really news doesn't really do it justice because I think news is portrayed as professor does thing, right? Or student wins award. Um, and, and that's news content. But we also have this other content that can be helpful. It can show you what is available to you at the University of Cincinnati. It can show you processes that may or may not involve the University of Cincinnati, how to fill out your FAFSA form, um, you know, five, five, uh, five tips on writing the, a killer college essay, right? Things like that 
that even that title sounds like something you would see at the bottom of a Huffington Post article, right? It's like those are the kinds of things that you see in via Outbrain and, and all of those um, content distribution channels. Um, but we want to build those organically um, and, and focus on SEO and focus on keywords um, and really try to, to build a, a, you know, a stable of that type of content so that our users, um, A, find us, right? They, they find us organically um, and then can take that, that journey with us, whether, it's, whether they apply here or not. Obviously, we want them to apply here. We want them to become students at the university. Um, but if they go on that journey and say, oh, yeah, this is interesting, five, five tips on writing my college essay, um, then they're going to be served at the end of that piece, just as you said. Um, you may also be interested in you know, what, to, what to pack for your first college trip um, or whatever. And so those pieces kind of build on each other. And, and yeah, obviously we have some marketing you know, built in there. Um, we have RFI forms so that hopefully we can get those folks into our, into our funnel somewhere and, and send them more direct marketing messaging. But you're, you're, you know, the, the typical student now, um, speaking of coming full circle on, on advertising, you know, they know what a Google ad is. They know what an ad is, you know, when they're on a website, they, they can, they can sniff that stuff out. So, um, we've actually done a, a fair amount of testing on some of that stuff with, with prospective student groups. And they, we found that, you know, they're not, they're not interested in clicking on an ad. They're interested in, in being served content that's interesting to them. Right. Um, and so that, that aligns with, I think everything you just said, uh, about the personalization and and the Facebook approach to things and the Netflix approach to things, um, I, I don't I don't want to click on an ad. I know that's an ad. I know it's promoted. I know somebody's trying to sell me a product or an experience. I don't want that. I want to go through it organically and and find the thing that I'm I'm interested in. So that's really um, I, I think another major approach that that we're trying to take. Um, it's been a it's been a challenge. I think again if you Think about the the dissonance between 16, 17 year old prospective student, digital native, to you know, director, department head, dean, probably 50, 60, you know, not a digital native. Um, how do you how do you reconcile the two and say, look, this is really the right approach? Well, we are we okay with uh, you know information security and how do we we can't we can't get stuck, you know, Facebook is crazy. That's too much information. We can't steal their identities and all this kind of, okay, well, there's a middle ground, right? There's, there's somewhere in the middle where we're not, you know, we're not stalking these folks, but we have, um, you know, things at our disposal that we can, can leverage to get in front of them. So um, we are using a tool through our vendor that, that, basically is just kind of a, a user um, cookie. I mean, that's probably the best way to put it on our site. And so we're creating these profiles on, on users based on IP address and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and we can see what kind of actions they're taking, what they're looking at, how long they're spending on, on certain pages. Um, and then there's, there is kind of an algorithm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go as far as calling it an AI, but, um, you know, an algorithm on the on the back end of that tool that creates a score and a 
um, you know, kind of a user uh, identifier for that individual um, and says, okay, this person has spent X amount of time on admissions type pages, so we can bucket them as a prospective student. Um, you know, and so we start to, to bucket the, the users up. Um, and then we've actually been able to integrate that data with our um, instance of Slate, which is our CRM. Um, and we can then take that data from one to the other um, and, and really build out useful profiles um, on you know, what a user has done on the site. And then once they fill out a form, we can attach a name and interests and all the things that they um, actually give us um, to that and, and put the, the two together and really build out a, a robust um, kind of you know, identifier of that person. Um, so yeah, all those things you said, I think you're 100% right. We're all working in that direction. None of us have the, the uh, Facebook money, right? To, to have uh, hundreds and hundreds of developers working on this every day. Um, but, but we're getting there. And I, I really do think that's the, the direction that everybody's gonna be in in the next handful of years um, from a higher ed space because it's so competitive. Um, you know, we know the demographics of, of college age students um, across the country. And so trying to recruit those, those students uh, to your institution is just getting more and more difficult. Um, and, and those are the, the institutions that are doing that well are probably the ones that are gonna be successful. You know, uh, kind of a final thought before we wrap up here. The idea of creating content, like you said, you know, five steps to, to filling out FAFSA or what you should pack for a campus trip. Um, and this idea of overly helpful content that is not necessarily going to always lead to an application, but helps the audience's affinity audience, essentially, right? An audience that's larger than that you, the core audience you're going after um, and has potential, but maybe doesn't ever, nothing ever comes of it potentially. And this idea that, you know, this is, it's almost it's a brand experience that you're creating here because I, I assume that most institutions, higher ed institutions have some sort of brand promise or pillar or whatever that says we want to make education more accessible and we want to ensure students are, you know, academic, you know, that they uh, excel academically, that kind of stuff. And to create content that does that, it helps facilitate those goals um, as a brand. And you put your brand on that content. You are creating, you are creating your brand, right? Because brand, brand lives in the, the heads of consumers. You don't really necessarily get to control what your brand is. All you can do is influence the expectations and experiences that people have with your brand. And so this idea of of overly helpful content that doesn't necessarily lead. Um, to an application, but does help facilitate those those pillars you're trying to communicate and, and uphold and, and live by is such an interesting concept. And it's not new to outside of higher ed, right? HubSpot does this all the time. They write loads and loads of content, super helpful. And you may never use HubSpot in your life, but hey, you know what? HubSpot provided that information and resource, and you're probably going to recommend them because of how helpful they were to you, even if you don't use it yourself. I think it's an interesting um, ripple effect, honestly. To It's creating goodwill, um, putting your brand out there um, on experiences that you want prospective students to have, regardless, again, if they become students. Um, but again, it makes them 
think of you when they're thinking about helpful content and maybe they share that with a, a friend who does end up applying. And so this ripple effect of that overly helpful content by simply asking what students need to know outside of lower funnel questions. These are upper funnel questions, right? Um, and how can you answer those questions without any strings attached um, on your website in a way that they could find and search and they're coming again to your website to read that content, they're seeing your brand, they're experiencing your brand. Um, I think it's such a missed opportunity, um, especially for students who are searching for that content near you, that, that you know, that a geography element to search um, is going to help with those results. And so it's a, it's a huge opportunity, I think, for institutions to really help the community at large while also benefiting, I think, from the, the brand experience they're creating with those individuals. Yeah, maybe actually maybe cut this part out so that uh, nobody else gets this idea. OK, because <laughs> it's competitive uh, enough. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And it's interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned the affinity piece. We um, really when we started talking about this, we were looking at uh, healthcare systems kind of as the, the model. Um, you think about like Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic and places like that. This is what they've done and they've built, you know, um, outside of WebMD, right? If you go to search for, you know, do I have cancer? That's, you're going to, you're going to get the Mayo Clinic's page where they're talking about, here's, here's what we know about X, Y, and Z. And, and it's because they've put this real focused effort behind building that content, building a strategy, um, and, and having thousands and thousands and millions of, of visitors come to their site um, over the years. And now they have this really strong presence, right? So um, yeah, absolutely. From a brand standpoint, uh, you know, is the University of Cincinnati going to be the Mayo Clinic of, you know, higher ed communications? I don't know, but that's a great goal, isn't it? I mean, doesn't that sound amazing? Doesn't it yeah. sound like it would get people behind it um, if you're if you're trying to sell that up your up, up the chain? Um, so yeah, that that's really what we were um, where we started and what we were looking at. Um, and we we built this. I mentioned the news system earlier. Um, you know, we built this system really as an inbound marketing system, right? Because that was the the, the real missing piece. To your point from higher ed experiences. Every higher ed website has, you know, a flashy photo on the homepage and by the numbers, you know, 300,000 alumni worldwide and all of that stuff. Like we, that's great and it's important and, and people want to know it. Um, but how can you go beyond that? How can you take the next step? How can you separate, differentiate yourself from the crowd? Because, you know, that there's a, a I think a, a book years ago, um, I think it was 160 over 90, I think was the group. Three in a Tree, it was called. And it was all about, um, you know, every higher ed photo being three different people of different backgrounds and persuasions sitting under a tree on campus, right? So you had all the all the ethnicities um, represented and you had the, camp, the traditional campus shot and that was everybody had that photo somewhere, right? In a, in a print piece on their website or whatever. So I think that's true, you know, across the board of, of all sorts of different things for higher ed. There's not a lot of difference between institution to institution if you're a, if you're a prospective student. But as an institution, how do you create that difference and how do you make a student 
prospective student say, that sounds like an interesting place. I'd like to learn more. You know, that that's the challenge we probably all face. Absolutely. That's so funny. Yeah, they all, saw, they all have, you know, white coats and beakers and, and lab coats and the, the, the hero video, right? Um, they all look the same. So I told you we wouldn't have any problem talking for an hour, uh, but we are here and I'm going to, we're going to wrap this up and let you get on to your day. But thank you so much for being here. I've loved the digital experience talks a lot, especially um, as they they intersect and overlap. Um, like I said, we had talked to Zach in a couple episodes ago. I mean, the same topics keep coming up about, you know, you know, personalization and algorithms and the potential that we all have, I think, in higher ed for websites. Um, but I also love, and this is the first time I think I've heard besides Allison last the last episode of doing things, specifically content things, uh, just because it's helpful content, obviously there's an inbound strategy to that. But again, you're writing this content. Um, and like you said, the Mayo Clinic, HubSpot, all these um, outside companies are doing it and it's proven it's it's successful. There's there's a case study right there uh, across the board. So it's super interesting. And I, I love that idea. Um, and I would love to see some data or, or where it goes for you all um, just to to prove several points across several conversations I've had about this topic off, off the podcast anyway. So uh, thank you again, and we will wrap it up. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for this episode. Please rate and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. And remember, a better student experience is always the answer. Hey, all Zach from Enrollify here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Application with Corinne Myers. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.